I'm Chris Story, and you're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote a poem, I think, about real estate investing. I wanted to start off with it. It's actually not, but I think it is, sort of. She wrote, but to every mind there openeth a way and a way and a way. A high soul climbs the highway and the low soul gropes the low. And in between the misty flats, the rest drift to and fro. But ev to every man there openeth a highway and a low, and every mind decideth the way his soul shall go. One ship sails east and another west by the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that determines the way you'll go. Like the winds of the sea are the waves of time as we journey along through life. Tis the set of your soul that determines the goal and not the calm or the strife. See those houses over there? I'm buying them. Those crappy ones? Well, what for? For an investment. What have I been saying? I don't know. Real estate. Buy real estate. Y'all ready for this? Oh, what a great day. Thank you for tuning in to what my mom calls the greatest show on earth, The Backyard Millionaire. You can pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Also, the audio book. One of the greatest privileges of my life was to have my grandchildren listen to. The oldest one said he read it, but they all listened to the audio book version of The Backyard Millionaire. And one of them, little Kai, eight years old, looked at me and said, can I be a millionaire? Absolutely. Absolutely. For anybody you care about, get a copy of that book today. In fact, my grandson, my oldest grandson, Austin and I, are getting ready to read a book together. I'm getting him a copy of The Richest Man in Babylon. I highly recommend that book be in your library as well. And we're going to read it separately and then come together and talk about it. And we've already done that around The Backyard Millionaire. Uh, both of those books I highly recommend for you and your, your family and children. I've invented a new word, and like always, when I've done something, I've done something, accomplished anything that I'm proud of, I want to tell you about it. So this new word I invented is called plagiarism. <laughs> oh. Why am I the only one laughing at that? Come on, that's funny. Let's talk about how to price your property in today's market. And I think to have that conversation, we need to talk about what is today's market. What is today's market versus, say, yesterday's market or maybe six months ago? So usually, no matter the market, I'd suggest when you think about selling a property, you ask yourself this question. Are you looking to list or sell? Are you looking to price to list a property or are you looking to price a property to sell? Now, as always in any market, your realtor is going to give you some excellent advice and a market analysis and it's going to be a high and a low range with a recommendation usually thrown right in the middle. But the truth of it is, it's a range that you're looking for. You're the boss. It's your property. You only get to sell it this one time, typically. 
But be warned, your uncle who sold his property, say, seven months ago and got seven offers on day one, that, that was then. This is now. And that's not reflective. That anecdotal story you heard about your neighbor's house, that was then. This is now. And I must tell you, for the first time in many years, for the first time in probably 18 years at that point of doing this job of selling real estate, in 2020, I was able to say, it's a seller's market unequivocally, undeniably a seller's market, period. End of story. Well, those days are gone. Those days are behind us, I should say, and they'll come back. But for the most part, unless you've got a property right in the sweet spot of the market, which is to say the highest demand where the lowest supply exists. If you don't have that property right now, you must now more than ever price it to sell. Well, let's see what we can get. Well, that was that was then. This is now. And it may, that, that comment may come back. But for now, the, the smart money walking into the room says, what do you think I can get? and you price it accordingly. As an investor and a realtor, owner of a brokerage, I'm still excited about this market. And I've got a Forbes article I wanna share just a, a, brief, a brief piece of here in a little bit and just kinda of share with you why I'm excited about it, what's going on and why you should as well. Rhonda Johnson is going to be here with our mortgage moment. She's with Cornerstone Home Lending. We're going to be talking about documentation. I'm going to tell you one of the one of the worst things about getting a mortgage is going through the documentation, but it's worth it. Rhonda is going to talk to us about why they ask for what they ask for, and maybe she might even be able to give us some tips that'll make your next mortgage a lot smoother. The law of substitution. So positive thinking, it's, it's been a tenet of mine for many, many years. I, I wake up positive. I, I, I got to tell you, I had the privilege of doing mock interviews at my grandson's junior high yesterday. And there were uh, a number of students, a half a dozen students I interviewed. And theoretically, we're giving them an opportunity to just interview, apply for a job, hand over a resume. And one of the kids... I, he was just so positive, and he was so upbeat. <laughs> I, I was he was clearly a little bit nervous, but I just said to him, I said, do you wake up this way? And he goes, yeah, I do. And I said, wow, wh wh why? What, what do you think is behind it? He goes, I don't know. I just, I just wake up happy and, and excited. I love that, and, and I can relate to it because I do too. I wake up pretty happy most of the time and mostly in a pretty positive good mood. I'm constantly seeking solutions, which being in this line of work then works really well because we are constantly solving problems. That's what we do. But sometimes positive thinking just isn't enough. Positive thinking cannot negate negative thinking. So another, let me put it this way. Positive thinking isn't as good as negative thinking is bad. So it's not even, you know, it's nowhere near one to one. It's more like 16 to one. So the elimination of negative thoughts is far more powerful than just simply adding positive thoughts. So what do you do? What do you do in a world within a nanosecond of something happening? You know about it. It's all up in your business, a tragedy, a horrible thing that might happen. 
something that's being exaggerated by the media. Well, what do you do? I suggest you apply the law of substitution. When a negative uh, thought surfaces in your mind, replace that thought the moment you become aware of it. You can do this somewhat preemptively, depending upon your morning routine or your, your predilection to things like mantras and having positive statements and journaling. Things like that can be somewhat you know, proactively installed in your brain before you even start the day. But even still, when a negative thought occurs to you, surfaces, you find yourself dwelling on something, replace it as quick as you become aware of it. Like it's a first sign of it. And when you begin to think this way, it's a little bit like playing the, that old game, the whack-a-mole game. And, it, and if you think about it like that, that's actually a really good idea to think in terms of this is a game and your job is to stamp out these negative thoughts, not necessarily with a corollary or positive thought, but maybe with a question. Because it's difficult always in the face of, oh my goodness, is this, you know, this is a negative thing that's really happening. I'm thinking about it and I'm spiraling down this rabbit trail maybe thinking like, you know, um, some positive affirmation might just be more like, you know what, not right now. So how about this? How about a question? So using the law of substitution, a negative thought with a positive question, which would sound a little bit like this. What else could this mean? Maybe you're facing somebody that's just, or something or some circumstances, incredibly horrifically negative. And you said, wait a minute, hold on. I see that. What else could this mean? What am I actually afraid of? What if I'm more powerful than I realize in this moment? That's a question that if you have the courage to ask it, could make all the difference. Gonna get a million answers To what's the measure of a man From the softness of his heart To the hardness of his hand it's always been the same old question Ever since this world began But a man can learn a lesson That he don't understand Any fool can pull the trigger Anyone can start a fight But to love is so much bigger so beyond what's black or white And if we're gonna give our children A future that is bright Then the truth must be the answer And love must be the light The hardest thing you'll ever do Is tell someone you're sorry You'll never be You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Rhonda Johnson's coming up with your mortgage moment. We're going to talk about why do they constantly bug us for documentation when we just simply want a mortgage. That and much more coming up here. Stick around.
You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Christopher Story. It's time now to welcome Rhonda Johnson back to the program with our Mortgage Moment. She's with Cornerstone Home Lending. You can find Rhonda online at rondajohnson.net. Rhonda, are you watching anything interesting right now in, on television or streaming or YouTube? What are, you, what are you watching when you're not doling out millions of dollars? What are you doing? Uh, I, uh, no, I, I'm not, I'm not, the answer is no. Uh, <laughs> That's easy. I, uh, when I'm cooking dinner and stuff, I usually watch Shark Tank because I don't have to pay close attention, um, mm. while I'm cooking and everything, but I kind of catch different little things cause I like the sales and marketing kind of aspect to it. But otherwise Roger is definitely the king of the controller of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, so I don't watch a lot of TV. That's a that's a big admission. Uh, Shark Tank though is interesting. I, I love that show too. I think the the concepts the concept of somebody starting with this little seed or a kernel of an idea and turning it into a potential business and then the reaction from the investors I enjoy as well. It's a, it's a great program. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoy it. So it's on my my kitchen TV while I'm cooking dinner and stuff at night. But yeah, that's about it. I sometimes argue with the investors in my mind or at the television, like, you know what, leave them alone, stop badgering them. Uh, but Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary actually just got caught up in that FTX thing where he lost, I think it was 10 or $12 million that he had invested with Sam Bankman fraud or freed um, <laughs> with FTX. So that's like, well, I, I bet he regrets um, that decision. Well, and sometimes the, the contestants, I think, deserve it. <laughs> and, um, and then other times I think, oh, my gosh, if you get an offer, take it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it is funny to see. People. You know what it is, Ron? It's a little bit like, well, any kind of negotiation. Sometimes when you're so emotionally invested that you can't yeah. see that this is a business, this is you're getting some great advice because you're clouded by your own emotions. That's what I think negotiations fail most often for people not being able to get a little distance. And that's what I like about, you know, in, in our line of work here as a real estate brokerage, we we offer that that um, that buffer, that third-party perspective and that, that we miss sometimes. Like if I could be a realtor or a, a negotiator on the show with him, I say, can I get just a moment with my client, please, and step aside? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go ahead and yeah. take the million dollars right now. <laughs> and you're going to come up with another idea. Well, Rhonda, for a long time, I've called what you and I are going to talk about the Calhoun effect. John Calhoun you was famous for saying that, look, there's a mortgage company and they're standing at your door and in a, two suitcases beside them, they have you know, $200,000, dollars $500,000. It's got your name on it, but you need to jump through a couple of hoops before you put your hands on those suitcases filled with cash. Just do what they ask. But providing documentation, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes I feel like, didn't I already provide this? So let's walk through this process because it's, it's universally, I think, misunderstood. Why do you need mm -hmm. to document everything so much? Well, so there are a couple of reasons for that, Chris. One, you know, the new loan application is nine pages long. And so when I have a client go online and do their online application, it takes about six, seven minutes to fill in the blanks. But by the time I'm done with it, it ends up being nine pages long. And every single little box on that loan application needs to have a piece of paper that verifies it. Everything from your name, address, social security number, and that's super important just because of all of the identity theft, all of the fraud that's going on out there 
we want to make sure it's really you borrowing this money in your name um, all the way to your income and asset documentation and then into the property. And so for every single box on that application, we have to have a piece of paper that verifies it as true. And on top of that, I think the other important thing is that, you know, you and I get to talk to our clients and we get to hear the story and, and mm -hmm. we, we get emotionally attached to them because we like them. And, and so we want to do everything that we can to make sure that we come to a, a positive end to this, this process. But the underwriters and the investors never get to meet our clients. And so we need that paperwork to tell their story. And so we need, by the time the underwriter gets it to say yes, and the investor ultimately gets it and says yes, that we've told our client's story correctly and accurately so that we get the yes at the very end. And that's what all of those pieces of paper are gonna do for us. And we're, we're talking about documentation, meaning your, as you said, identity, uh, workplace, all these things that protect you, the borrower, from hopefully protect you completely from fraud and so forth. But at the same time, cash. So we think, oh, look, I've got this big bundle of cash. This is great. Not always because you have to document where that cash came from or even a deposit in the last, what, six months? Or how far back are, you, are they looking to see those cash deposits and then document and verify that? Right. So um, usually we get between two and three different, uh, two and three months bank statements. And there's two different reasons why we want to, why we're curious about that. One is that while marijuana is a legal in the state, it is not legal on a federal level. And so any cash deposits going into your bank accounts raise that question, especially if we're doing a government loan. And two, some of the programs are income sensitive and they want to see um, where what, what the sources of that de those deposits were. I did a loan not too long ago for a gentleman that <clears throat> had these little 50 and $75 deposits really wasn't paying much attention to them. Well, at the end of the day, when we documented it, he did snow plowing on the site, and the amount of money that he had made was too much for this program, and it actually kicked him out. Oh, no. Yeah, and so those little small deposits add up and can and have a, an effect on, on the loan. And then also, we want to make sure that um, it wasn't borrowed. And if you have another debt to pay back, do you still qualify for the mortgage loan with that extra debt? So there's different reasons why we're looking for those unusual deposits. A friend of mine talking, by the way, here on Backyard Millionaire with Rhonda Johnson. RhondaJohnson.net is the website. Rhonda, a friend of mine from another state actually called me the other day. He's also a realtor. And he said, are you doing any or have you, are your clients doing any, any assumptions, VA assumptions? Because it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, veterans uh, administration loans are assumable by other veterans. Um, but the way I answered was no, because the market shifted so much that it's, it's somewhat irrelevant. If you're buying a $400,000 home, assuming or taking over the, the $200,000 loan doesn't do you a lot of good. You still got another 200 to come up with. Um, what do you see in regards to this with VA specifically? Yeah, yeah, VA, FHA, um, same thing. There's such a spread between what's owed on it and what the current values are that it has not been a positive um, option these days. The rates are really great, but you can't bridge that gap. Yeah. So they are assumable. And you know, is specifically to VA loans, a non-veteran could assume it as well. 
but the veteran does not get their VA eligibility back to use it again. Um, But there's another caveat to that is that you could have one VA loan out for, say, $250,000, and you're going to have another um, $600,000 worth of eligibility that you could use to go buy another house with VA. So it's not an end-of-the-world thing that you can't use that piece of your VA eligibility, but it stays tied up until that mortgage is paid off. I have no idea. Yeah, non-veterans can assume a veteran's law. I did not know that. Well, very interesting, but are are you seeing any assumptions take place out there? No. No, no, none. None. Either one, people are just hanging on to those rates, or two, there's too much of a gap, or three, um, the new borrower doesn't qualify for that type of financing. Let's talk about rates. You brought it up, not me. <laughs> let's say let's say that <laughs> rates drop, Rhonda, in the next, I don't know, seven, eight, 12 months, appreciably drop where it, it, it kind of makes sense to look at a refinance. I guess two uh-huh. questions. How long must you wait between the, the purchase mortgage and a refinance? And secondly, um, what are the costs involved? Yeah, so there's really actually very few programs have a limitation on how quickly you can refinance. Some people refinance three times in one year, um, but the cost is definitely there. The costs are exactly the same as when you bought the home without any help from the seller to help pay them. Well, hold on. Is that a rule with income property or non-owner occupied as well? I thought there was a stipulation you had to wait um, between purchase if you, you know, and then refinance. What am I thinking Dep- of? Depends on if it's a cash out refinance ah. or a rate and term refinance. Okay, so cash out, you have to wait. Mm-hmm, correct. But ah. just to better your interest rate, then there's no minimum time lane. You can re- refi every 20 minutes if it makes you feel good. If you want to spend that kind of money and it makes sense. <laughs> when is that going to make sense? When do you predict? I mean, let's just say you locked, you, you, you're in at a 30-year fixed six and three quarters, seven, one eight. When will it make sense for you to really say, you know what, it's time to refi? It just kind of depends on your loan amount. If you have a very low loan amount, then you need more of a spread. Generally, one to two percent lower on the rate will make it make sense to pay the fees to refinance. But if you have a super high loan amount, then it might take even less than one percent where it makes sense oh, because you point. have a bigger amount of money that you're borrowing and saving on. So really, every individual is different. I just look at it. We do the math. It's going to cost this much. You're going to save that much. How many months will it take you to recoup? And are you going to own this house and live in it for that amount of time? With the the small downturn in the interest rates in the last couple of weeks, I saw an article, I can't remember if it was Wall Street Journal or it was Forbes, but it, the refinances had shot up 18% in that particular week. So didn't take much to get people to, to start refinancing. I wonder, were you seeing some of that? Were those cash outs or what was going on? Yeah, it seems like cash out is the biggest um, the biggest refinance opportunity right now. Definitely not a rate and term refinance. None of them have been to better their interest rate. Mm. So there's been different reasons for the cash out. Now, unfortunately, what happened yesterday, Chris, was that both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac adjusted what they call their loan level price adjustments. And this has to do with the points that you may pay to get a certain interest rate. And anybody basically that didn't have a 780 or better credit score is going to be affected by this. 
you could have gotten a rate quote on Monday for X rate and X cost. And today it will be up to two points more for that exact same rate. If you weren't over a 780 credit score, wow. cash out refinances, investment properties, second homes, um, and lower credit scores are getting hit with all of these new adjustments. 780. I mean, that's you can get a better credit score than that, but not many people do. That's a that's a pretty tall, tall, tall order. Exactly. And so, I I'm really encouraging clients that even pre-qualified at the beginning of the week to double check what those rates look like, double check what your qualifying power is because it may have changed. This is one more reason, Rhonda, we should do in the not too distant future a credit clinic and just spend a good yeah. 10 or 15 minutes talking about like from ground zero, okay, building, repairing, maintaining credit. That's, it's so important. Look at that, that's two points. When you say two points, that's basically it's what it's gonna cost you two points to even get the rate. That that could be thousands, four or five, ten thousand dollars more. Yeah, every hundred thousand would be two thousand dollars. So depending on your loan amount, it can add up super quick. Or you're gonna take a higher rate. Right. Um yeah. And we should absolutely do that, Chris. I do credit scoring classes multiple times throughout the year and every single class somebody says, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And so it's a really, really good topic to just make yourself aware of what affects your score yeah. and how you can position yourself to have the best score possible. Absolutely. Rhonda Johnson, the website is rondajohnson.net. Stay tuned for that credit clinic. We'll do that in the next week to 10 days and get Rhonda back. Rhonda, thank you so much. You're so welcome, Chris. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, the show that teaches you, at least we endeavor to teach you every single week, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. We've got a lot more coming up, including the most powerful form of communication on earth. Coming up. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to live desperate, not desperately, but I really wanted to live in a hotel. I loved the concept. Alex Haley had a television program on in the 80s. James Brolin and Connie Selica, and it was called Hotel. And this concept of just living, sort of, I had this idea of a penthouse apartment in a luxury hotel. What a, what a dream. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. I'm Chris Story. This is the show that teaches you how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Thank you for being here. If you want to hear this program back, you can go to my website, ilovehomeralaska.com. You can also share it with friends, ilovehomeralaska.com, and just click on the podcast page. So here's a brand new building in New York City that's offering $65 million penthouse suite at 5353 West. And I was looking on Forbes at it this morning. It is fantastic. Glass, steel, um, really a beautiful design. Not your typical tower this is a this is gorgeous it really is a beautiful beautiful building inclusive living these folks are going to be living with fine dining restaurants right in their own building shopping all doesn't that sound is it just me or does that not sound amazing i love it robert downey jr's already got one there his fireplace get this his fireplace a story tall 
inside his condominium. He probably paid a touch more than 65000 As I said earlier, I had this opportunity yesterday to interview, be the interviewer for these junior high students. It was a practice for them to be able to establish a resume, think about their life skills and experiences, get dressed up, and go for job interviews. It really is a great idea. And this one particular student, one of the questions we were supposed to ask them were, what, what weaknesses do you have? Tell me about a weakness of yours. And this one particular student said, I can't make eye contact. And I said, well, you just did a second. There, you did it again. There, you're doing it. You're, you're making, and I was like, you can make eye Stop saying you can't, first of all. And secondly, we had this little mini session. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look down. We're both going to look down at the desk, okay? Let's look at the desk, not each other. On the count of three, we're going to raise our eyes and we're going to make eye contact and we're going to hold that eye contact uncomfortably long to the count of five or six. Let's just see how long we can hold that eye contact and you need to get used to this. And so we did it and um, at the end of it, I let it go at five and said, okay, and this person, just this little student went, oh, I mean, it was just like, it was difficult. And it reminds me though, it's not something that comes natural to everybody. It really isn't. Now, here's, here's a, a secret to this, that biology is involved. Darker eyed people do not like eye contact. They, they, they avert eye contact. They do not like it. It's biological. I don't understand it, but they don't. Eye contact with dark eyed people is uncomfortable for them. Lighter eyed, blue, green, hazel, the lighter eye shades thrive and crave eye contact. There's biology involved. And so it doesn't matter. But because you've met nervous people that look all around everywhere but you in the eye, and, and they could have um, eyes the, sh the shade of a blue sky day. It's, so it's, it's, it's not just that. It, but I think it's practice. And I think it's the most powerful form of communication and connection on the planet is eye contact. So I want to give you this pro tip for eye contact. Look somebody in the bridge of their nose, like right in the middle of their nose, not down low like you're looking at a booger. No, it's up high, right, the, right between the eyebrows. Just look right there. We don't know that you're not looking us in the eye. And it's easier to practice this. It's easier to at least get started by simply looking at somebody at the bridge of the nose and then it appears to us that you're looking us right in the eye. So here's what I say. Look life in the eye, young pupil. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe it's a common curse. Maybe things get bad before they get worse. I don't want to become someone. One time I went to a conference in San Diego, beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. And it was all on, on speaking, public speaking. And the guy who was putting the conference on, by the way, used to work with Tony Robbins, who worked for Tony Robbins, selling how to seminars and stuff. So this guy was, you know, top of the line public speaker, knew what he was doing. And the first day we were there, 
his icon it was unnerving from the stage from the front of the room the the intensity with which he would hold eye contact with with you and this happened to me and, I, and i'm and i'm used to making eye contact i was raised that way and that's just what i've always done but i mean it was just like wow you could almost just feel it and it was just a just an incredible lesson and I, I incorporated that into my own public speaking and just eye contact matters it is it is so powerful it's worth practicing trust me i would like you to live longer and i would love for you to live with love love the living not just living longer but loving it at the same time would you like to know four steps towards that end i thought you might and guess what this research comes from john hopkins john hopkins Hopkins? Hopkins. So you know it's good information. I like to cite where I get these things because sometimes you can get it off of woo.com. No, this is from John Hopkins, okay? Four tips, according to the research, four tips that will help you not just live longer, but love it. Love your life. Tip number one is probably going to surprise you, especially if you're new. Tip number one, to live longer and love it, according to Johns Hopkins, don't smoke. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> wow. Um, smoking affects coronary arteries and lungs, and smokers also have increased rates of cancer and risk of stroke. Okay, number one from Johns Hopkins, do not smoke. Number two, this is for a long life that you love. Maintain a healthy weight. The healthiest people in the study maintained a body mass index, BMI, a ratio and height to weight that measures body mass of less than 25%. So get busy on lifestyle changes is what they suggest, which leads to step three, get up and move. Aim for 30 minutes of activity daily. And also they recommend here, if you can't do 30 minutes all at once, break it up into three 10 minute routines. That's fine, that's easy. Moving is key. Number four, this is for living longer and loving your life. Make healthy food choices. The study found that the healthiest people followed a Mediterranean-style diet, which is a diet rich in fresh fruits, vegetables, nuts, healthy oils, fish, and red meat. However, they say restricted red meat, but I don't know. Some of the healthiest people I know eat a lot of red meat. Whole grain carbs and olive oil for cooking. There's your four tips for living not just longer, but loving it. My lungs breathe in the oxygen But I need something more than this To keep me alive I'm so sick of wasting time Living life like I'm half alive I'm done believing these evil lies That tell me hopes and dreams have died I can feel it in the air tonight Way up above these city lights There's a higher calling on all our lives Let's live to love, not just survive How important is certainty to you in your life? Are you constantly seeking certainty? Well, most people are, most of us are. We want certainty. But Price Pritchett actually suggests that if you want balance in your life, you'll embrace uncertainty. 
I just got a new book. <clears throat> I should well, let me let me look and see. Oh, wait, did I bring it? Oh, I left it on my. <laughs> I took a photocopy out of it. Hang on, I'm gonna get it. Just don't go anywhere. Just stay right there. I'm getting it. Hold on. Okay, I'm coming back, and I am back. See, you didn't even miss me. All right, the book is called Unfolding by Price Pritchett. It's a great, it's a little guidebook. All of his books are just these wonderful 30, 40 page little guidebooks. They're wonderful. And so in this one called Unfolding, he says, embrace uncertainty. He says, what if you could eliminate uncertainty from your life? Would you actually have the guts to do that? Do you have the strange notion that you'd be happier and more successful or otherwise better off in the world with total control and absolute predictability? No uncertainty. Well, he says, keep in mind now that Life wouldn't change per se. Your five senses would still work the same way. You'd still face success and failure, so-called good days and bad days. But you'd be the same person in the same old world, married to the same old existence, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. And oh, by the way, you'd see that coming too. He says uncertainty is a necessary, profound part of living with hope, and, and trying to, to strive and achieve for something new and dreaming, the uncertainty is what keeps you going. It's the, it's the life force that moves you forward. If you had pure certainty, which some are looking to do in creating these equal outcomes versus equal opportunity, that takes away this sense of uncertainty in a sense that, well, life wouldn't be as exciting. It's a really cool book. I'll share more with it as I go through. It's called Unfolding. But I wanted to share that with you that Price Pritchett says we should be um, embracing uncertainty. And when you're talking about real estate market, you're talking about investing, uh, that's an important thing to embrace. It's an important thing to even be aware of and how important it is. Coming up in just a moment, I've got 10 tips that will help you overcome negative thinking. Plus, I want to talk about where is it? Uh, oh, and this is, I'm going to have fun with this. What's your investor style? That and more when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. Marcus Garvey said, men who are in earnest are not afraid of consequences. You're listening to the Backyard Millionaire. I'm Christopher Story. This is a show that teaches you how to create wealth where you are, right there where you are with what you've got. Thanks for being here. Would you, could you in Hong Kong? Mm -mm. A Chinese treat that, well, smells like feet. They call it a hundred-year egg. I just, <laughs> no thank you. The reality is this egg isn't that old. It's only allowed to rot for several months. And yes, I said rot for several months. <sighs> Once it becomes an appalling shade of green, well, it's ready to eat. Bon appétit. <laughs> don't understand. I mean, some people turn their nose up at spam. Do you know that? Are you aware that there is a contingent of people on this planet that do not like spam? And yet, I would say there are as many people probably that would be into that, uh, that feet-smelling egg. Mm -mm. No, I'll take spam all day, every day. Downturn means maybe it's your turn. Could that mean... 
what I think it means. In other words, if, if the market takes a downturn, could it be your turn? Forbes reports the following. Housing market downturn pushes record number of investors away. Here's why that's good news for home buyers. This is an article by Jonathan Panikano out of Forbes magazine. Basically, what he's saying is prices have come down about 11% year over year. And here's the kicker. Less institutional investors are scooping up homes. That means it could be your time. This could be excellent news for you if you've been in a situation where you've been outcompeted by cash buyers that aren't just, you know, people that have the cash, but we're talking BlackRock and institutional buyers that are scooping up neighborhoods around the country. They're not right now. Now, prices are not falling like a rock. Having lived through, having gone through the build up to the 08 crash, and seeing what went into the ninja loans, the liar loans, they called them no income, no job, no problem. Ah, so you've got poor credit, no problem. Those loans that led up to all of that and all the things were happening with the securities and the mortgage bank securities and the, all the, the, the stuff that was happening there in the financial sector that led to that crash. Having been through it, I am telling you, whatever's coming relative to this correction, this offset in the market that couldn't have kept going like a missile to a, to a weather balloon. It just couldn't have kept going this way. It had to change. This is still a grand and great opportunity if you know what you're doing and you know what you're looking for. And that's why you're here. That's why we get together here every week and we talk about these things and we're preparing and analyzing and studying the market. That's one of the most fundamental traits of any good investor, no matter what you're investing in, is you study the market. You know when it's your time. And I'm telling you, I think this is your time. Even if the news continues to be, oh, there's a downturn, there's market pressures and so on and so forth, weed through all of that and recognize you have your own personal return on investment that you're looking for. Listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. And what good is wealth if you do not have mental health? If you're not happy, if you're not, if you're just miserable all the time, what's the point? You know, sometimes Tiffany and I, we're talking about like how negative people sometimes are, are lauded as more intelligent, pessimistic people sort of maybe have this aura of being wise or being, you know, super intelligent, when in fact, I think they're more miserable. I think that if you're a died in the way, you're not listening, by the way. If you're a real pessimist, you're probably not here with me. Uh, you're doing so. I don't know what they're doing, but they're not here. So you are an optimist. However, we as optimists still even will have some negative thinking. So here's 10 tips to overcome negative thoughts. This is called Positive Thinking Made Easy. This is from Tiny Buddha. It's a fun little website, by the way. Uh, number one, the first tip to overcome a negative thinking is to meditate or do yoga. I don't care for, well, I've done yoga. When Zoe, Zoe our daughter Zoe is a, a, 
trained yogi, went to India two different times, trained as a yogi, and I went to some yoga classes she taught. It is actually incredibly relaxing. I fell asleep at one point, so I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. But meditating, doing yoga, it's a great way to overcome negative news and the barrage that we're constantly faced with of whatever's happening in the world. The second tip is to smile. I know it sounds cheesy, but just smiling. It's impossible to be angry while you're smiling, unless it's one of those Cheshire-y kind of like more of a grimace and or a, a grin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a genuine smile that employs all 8,000 muscles in your face. There, in fact, there was a, a scientist, a, a psychologist, Emil Cui, who in what, 1919, 1920 prescribed for his patients that they must certain times of the day look in the mirror and just smile at themselves, just smile at themselves. And uh, it was curing some pretty big league mental health problems back then. Uh, number three, surround yourself with positive people. That's why you're here. Who you run with makes a big difference. Change the tone of your thoughts from negative to positive. That that takes some practice, but that's where earlier, like we were talking about, the replacement or substitution. Oh, a negative thought? Ask a question. Ask a question that will lead you somewhere positive. Uh, number five, don't play the victim. In fact, I was, I was talking to somebody earlier today about their political campaign, and I said, you know, I'm with you, but the victimization, the way you're marketing makes to be with you, I almost have to feel like a victim. Yeah, I don't like it. Don't play the victim card. Number six, help somebody. You can have anything you want in life if you'll help enough other people get what they want. There's nothing that feels better than reaching into that jar of honey, handing some to somebody else. You get some on, you help other people. Number seven, remember that no one is perfect and let yourself move forward. Give yourself a break. Grow, grab a kick, can't give yourself a break of it. You deserve it. Number eight, and this I love, even though you never want to hear me practice it, sing. If you sing out loud, you will feel better. It's guaranteed. I do it all the time, but privately. You're welcome. Number nine, list five things that you're grateful for right now. Five things that you're grateful for in the moment. And you want to add power to that? Send a text to somebody because it might be weird if you call them. All right, Bab, here's five things I'm grateful for. Uh, what are you calling me for? But text somebody. Cement that right now. List five things you're grateful for in this moment. And number 10, according to Tiny Buddha, 10 tips to overcome negative thinking. Number 10, read positive quotations. Like this one, Walt Disney said, all your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. Quotations, mantras, things like this aren't going to fix you, aren't going to take away the pain of a negative circumstance, but you can alter your thinking, change your thoughts, change your world. Norman Vincent Peale said that I, in my office, in studio, I have that, a big plaque. And where I sit all day, every day, I see that plaque every day. Sometimes 10, 15 times a day, I'll look at it. And so surround yourself with positive people and positive thoughts and quotations. It can make a big difference. I like this one. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. I want you to have a positive life. I want you to have a rich, wealthy, healthy life. So what's your investor style? Are you a risk-reward person? Everybody, you've got to measure your own style. 
You have to be happy with the style because you and only you know the amount of risk you're willing to take, the amount of reward you want, the geography with which you're willing to invest in. Are you one that's willing to go coast to coast across this great country or are you only wanting your own backyard? That's me, by the way. That's my style. But here's what I want to warn you about. Be careful you don't become the paralysis of analysis, as they say. Don't adopt that style because you could end up missing so much opportunity. Hey, even if you're looking, that's the number one thing. I applaud you just for looking for the right investment, but be careful that you don't overanalyze and just sit around and become part of the woulda, shoulda, coulda club and forevermore tell everybody what you could have had that property for. You know, I look, I fall victim to this all the time. I just sold a property recently to somebody and uh, I know what I could have had that for 20 years ago and I passed on it and... Um, yeah, it's, it's an easy place to go, but know your own risk-reward ratio. Well, thank you for being here with me. For all of us here on Top of the World and in the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story reminding you to look forward in life, set your own goals, reflect on your past, but never forget that the good life is lived right here in the present. We'll see you next time.